wonder if you look at the image on the screen, how many of you remember these old things? <laughs> to bring him back a bit. And, and this was normal for us, but if you don't know, it's a telephone. That's how we spoke to people. And then do you remember the day when things got really exciting and we upgraded to one of these? Oh, my gosh, the joy of just pressing a button. And then really sort of um, integral to how we use these was this next shot. The curly wire that stretched, that meant if you needed a bit of privacy, you could just leave the phone where it was, attached to the wall somewhere, usually in the hallway. It's not always the most comfortable place to have a conversation, or the most private. So you could stretch it, couldn't you, and go into another room and shut the door, and then you could, if you were anything like me, talk and talk and talk and talk. Because I would go to school and spend all day with my friends, hanging out, talking, um, not learning. You can get rid of the telephone picture now. But um, yeah, all my report cards through my entire school career always said the same. Alison would do a lot better if she taught less and learned more, you know, always. But Anyway, so I'd spend all day with my friends talking, hanging out, and then you'd get home, pick up the phone, take it, you know, dial it, take that cord, throw it into another room, and then talk more, because there was more to say. Always more to say. And I still find that now when I've been hanging out with my friends. You walk away, you think, oh, I can't believe it, after hours, we didn't get to talk about this. We didn't get to cover that subject. And about four weeks ago, I spoke here on the book of Psalms. It was um, the 19th of March, so if you, want, if you haven't heard it and you want to hear part one, um, then go and have a listen. But I, I did the talk, and in the, the days that kind of came after that and the weeks, as I was listening again to the book of Psalms, I kept thinking, oh, there's more that I would have said. Not that I would take away anything that I said in part one, but I kept thinking, I wish I had a chance to say more about the book of Psalms. Because what we did on that day four weeks ago is we, we spent a whole chunk of time, like now, just looking at that one book. We didn't massively land on a particular passage. We touched on them. But we looked instead about this whole book. We talked about, first of all, what, when we're approaching the Bible, how do we approach it? And we talked about the fact that the Bible is a library rather than a book. It looks like a book, but it's actually more like a library. And that when you go to read a book, you're getting different genres. And it really helps if you understand what type of book you're taking from the shelf. And we talked about the book of Psalms as this book of poetry. And it's a book of poetry prayers that really teaches us how to pray. It gives us words for our prayers in every season. And we talked about these prayers of, of praise and adoration and longing and lament and these prayers that talk about the faithfulness of God and his story, what he has done and more. And the upshot of it all really was this, um, this calling to bring our whole selves to God. That's what the book of Psalms teaches us, that in every season and in every circumstance, whether good or bad or somewhere in between, to not pull away from God, but to lean into him and to bring our prayers and to bring our hearts to him. And so that was part one. But as I said, ever since then, I've just thought, oh, I just wish that I had opportunity just to say a little bit more. And so today is that day. We're doing part two on the Psalms. And if part one was bring your whole self to God, part two today is who is this God that we come to? What does the book of Psalms teach us and show us about who God is? Years and years ago, when my kids were much younger, we sat down one New Year's Eve 
And over dinner, we talked about what hopes and dreams we might have for the year ahead. What are some things we might like to do or achieve? And one of my children said, I would like to see Nana more. I'd like to take her flowers and draw her pictures. That's what I would like to do in the year ahead, which is lovely. And my other child said, what I would love to do this year is I'd like to go outside and shake my backside so that I can be seen on Google Earth. <laughs> and it was like, interesting, the difference between my two children. <laughs> and uh, this child didn't achieve that aim. But anyway, hold on, forgetting that image for a moment, but hold on to this picture of Google Earth. If you've ever sort of played with Google Earth a bit, what you'll see, just Google it, Google Earth, you start off with a picture of the Earth. And then by some magical mystery that is beyond me, you can then begin to um, zone in a bit and get, go a bit nearer so you can lean into a continent and you can then go further from a continent to a country and you can keep going even until you get to your own front door where my son may or may not be dancing for you, you know? And... What we're going to do this morning with the book of Psalms is we're going to do a little bit of that. We're going to start sort of big picture, sort of stepping back and looking at the whole book. We're going to zoom in a little bit and look in a little bit more detail about some of the characteristics of God that the Psalm shows us. And then we're going to go in further and spend a bit more time and a bit more detail in a couple of very specific characteristics of God. So first of all, zoning right back out and looking at this whole book um, as, if we were to lay out all 150 chapters of the book of Psalms in front of, uh, sorry, if we were to lay out, sorry, the whole Bible in front of us, all 66 books, and cast a net over them and draw them all into one place, in that one place, what you've essentially got is the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms like unlocks and speaks into the whole of the rest of the Bible without losing any of its goodness. Um, if you imagine, if you've ever done this, if you've made one of those special sauce reductions, you know, where you put all your ingredients in and you, you cook it slowly and causing the liquid to evaporate, what you get at the end of that process is this really rich sauce, all the flavors there and intensified. And in some ways, that's what the book of Psalms is like. Everything that you find out about God in the whole Bible is there in that one book in the middle of the Bible. And there's this guy called Martin Luther, who was a 16th century theologian, monk, reformer of the church. And he, he actually referred to the book of Psalms as a little Bible. And he said, in it is comprehended most beautifully and briefly everything that is in the entire Bible. Everything else that you find out about God, you find in the book of Psalms. And so if you go to the Psalms, you'll find out this about God, that he is the creator and sustainer of life. He is worthy to be praised. He is the one who sees. He's the one who speaks. He's the one who listens and hears. And by the way, that that characteristic of God that he listens and hears is actually really central and essential to the whole book of Psalms because if he is not the one who listens to our prayers and, and really hears and pays attention to them, why have a prayer book in the middle of the Bible? 
it's essential that we are bringing this, not, you know, we're not just um, giving air to our own thoughts. We're bringing our prayers to a God who listens and hears. He is the righteous judge. He is the one who is concerned for the poor and the needy. The one who calls for justice. He is the majestic one, the one most high, the king of kings. He is the one who saves and redeems and restores and delivers. He is the father, our teacher, and the faithful one. And even though the book of Psalms was written before Jesus was born, before God came, was made flesh, and made his dwelling among us, loads of times throughout Psalm, it speaks of his coming. And it lets us know that the Savior is on his way, and that the Savior will be born, and will live, and will die, and will rise again. So everything that we need to know, Psalms is like a condensed, reduced, rich version of the whole Bible and of the character of God. And so if you're new to reading your Bible and you're not sure where to start, Psalms might be a place to begin. It might be a good leap, um, a place to sort of leap from. And from there, as you read other bits of the Bible, you'll recognize what you've seen in the Psalms. And if you've read your Bible a hundred times before, maybe the Psalms is a good one to return to. And as you come back to it, you'll see that it unlocks things that you understand of God's character and ways that you've seen him act elsewhere in the Bible. And the Bible is just so beautifully put together in that one book can illuminate all the other books and all the other books can point us back to one book as well. So zooming out, Google Earth, the Psalms is like a little Bible and everything that we know about God elsewhere is there in the book of Psalms. And we looked very briefly at some of those names, some of those characteristics that we see. Let's kind of jump in and look a little bit, little bit more closely now, zooming in, clicking that button to take us in one step nearer. And let's, we're just going to look at three names of God in the Psalms in a tiny bit more detail. And the first of those names I want to just highlight is the Psalms talks about God as being our helper, he is our helper. Um, for example, in Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And this word comes up loads in the book of Psalms. Um, and the idea of this help is that, um, or, and the inference from the passages in the Psalms is you're looking beyond yourself to the warrior one, the one who has the power to save, the one who is stronger, the one, it's like, I'm weak, I need your strength, and I look to you, God, to be my help. It's interesting, as a little aside, that this word for God as helper, in Hebrew it's Ezer, it's used of God several times in the book of Psalms and in other places. And it's used also of a person. It's used of Eve. Eve is described as Adam's Ezer. There was no suitable helper for Adam, and so um, he needed a helper. So you can see that in uh, Genesis 2, verse 18. And so just to throw that out there, guys, if you were hoping for a wife that picks up your socks, really sorry, but what you got is a warrior, You've got a warrior, someone who is strong and made in the image of God as an easer. I lift my eyes 
of God. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? And I love that little verse in, that we just read in Psalm 121, because as the psalmist encourages us, lift our eyes, there's something that's so powerful in that. I lift my eyes, where does my help come from? He's not, um, it's a, there's a choice there to lift our eyes from ourselves. I lift my eyes, where does my help come from? It doesn't come from here. It doesn't come from within. It's not something that I drum up for myself or that I can, that I can work up. It, I don't have what it takes and there is no shame in that. In fact, that's the best possible place we can find ourselves in is where we shift our eyes from us to God in every circumstance, in every season, looking to him. Where does my help come from? Also, I love in that picture I lift my eyes to the hills, I take my eyes from my circumstances and I put them on God, whatever our circumstances. And it's sometimes just as tempting in the really good times as it is in the bad times to focus on the circumstances. But if we remember God as helper, it's not that we deny circumstances, but we choose to look beyond and above and we look to him, our helper. Another characteristic of God in the Bible, in the book of Psalms, is the shepherd, the good shepherd. And last time we, when we talk, I talked four weeks ago, we looked briefly at Psalm 23. And let's go there again. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes... I'll get it up. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. There it is. He leaves me beside quiet waters. He makes me lie down in green pastures. I am just going to get this up. Hold on. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is a great example of where the Psalms pulls out a theme that's elsewhere in the Bible. All throughout the Bible, God is described as shepherd and Jesus picks up that theme. Jesus, who is God, is our good shepherd. And what we see as uh, the shepherd is explained to us and sort of illuminated for us in the Psalms, we see one who is tender, who leads us, who guides us, who restores us, who is with us and near us, who protects us. And we see a God who makes us rest. He makes me lie down. He makes me lie down. Some of you know that a couple of months ago, we had a little addition to the Martin family. And it's this little scamp that's coming up there. This is Benny Martin, Benny of no middle name, just Benny Martin, um, who is a really crazy Bichon Frise. And we don't regret him. We tell ourselves this about 20 times a day. We don't regret this. We don't regret this. We don't regret this. But he's mad. He's absolutely mad. He has two modes, which is sleeping or running around eating things. And so you're trying to get like normal life done. And um, you can sort of let him go now. Eyes back on me. I know Benny is more appealing. But um, he literally, he eats 
anything and everything. You cannot turn your back for five minutes. He doesn't care whether it's a book. I found him the other day in my bedroom literally shredding books. Um, he stole my son's blackcurrant sandwich. I mean, anything. If he sees it, he'll eat it. And then he sort of just zooms around the house, crashing into things and going mad. And someone that has raised Bishon Free's puppies before said, told me that you need to be quite intentional with putting them in their crate and giving them time out. Not as punishment, but they need that downtime. And we have found this to be true, that though Benny will not choose to settle very easily on his own, you put him in his crate and it's like you just turned you turn the switch off and he sort of just collapses and sleeps deeply. We have to make Benny lie down. And your good shepherd father might need to make you lie down today. He makes you rest because he loves you so dearly. And he knows that sometimes you just rush around doing whatever and it's like it's time to chill. And so just hold on to that today, that the Bible shows us he is a shepherd who makes us rest. Think about your day to day. Where might the Lord be telling you, rest, lie down? Think about your week ahead, rest. Don't over-spiritualize it, lie down. So he's a good shepherd. The Psalms also teach us that he is the God of unfailing love. Unfailing love. 73 times in 150 chapters, God is described that way. The God of unfailing love. Unfailing unfailing. It doesn't go wrong. His love doesn't run out. It doesn't break. It doesn't collapse. It can take your weight. I cannot watch bungee jumping um, clips. I cannot. I cannot. Please, if any of you ever do a bungee jump or have ever done one, do not show me. Because even though I can see that you are alive, I don't want to know that you did it. It makes me want to vomit. This thing that people stand at a crazy height over a massive precipice and then throw themselves off with just an elastic band to hold onto them. My heart can't take it. And and awfully, sometimes they fail. Do not Google it. Trust me. But it has happened really, really sadly. And, you know, sometimes it's literally because the, the band, it's a rubber band, it's obviously thicker than that. But it, it literally fails. So you, they put all their weights into this thing and it fails. But God's love doesn't fail. You can put all your weights on his love and he will not fail you. He will not let you down. We can trust in his love. Other things fail us. We fail ourselves. People fail us. Our strength fails us. And the world around us can fail and can throw us into chaos and all sorts of other things. But not God's love. And let's not ever be fooled into thinking that the God of the Old Testament is cold and uncaring. Put our psalm's glasses on. Just start there and you'll see 73 times. How many times, if you're a parent, have you said, I've already said this once, I've said it twice, like, why aren't you listening? 73 times, God, our Father, says, I love you with an unfailing love. So we did the big picture, all these names of God, the whole Bible in one uh, book. We've gone in a little bit and looked at three characteristics of God, but now let's go right in and settle for the last few minutes 
on a recurring theme, a recurring title for God in the book of Psalms. It comes up again and again and again. And it's almost like you could almost entitle the whole book of Psalms this way. And that is God is our rock and our refuge. God is our rock and our refuge. One example of that here in Psalm 18. I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. And those words, rock and fortress, or rock and refuge, they use sometimes separately and often together to describe how safe God is. Let's start with looking at that word rock. I mean, you think about a rock, particularly a big rock, and you don't need me to tell you about its characteristics. It's, it's solid. It's hard. It's unchanging. It's not marshy land. It's not grass. It's not mud. It's a rock, dependable. A rock is firm. And that's often the way that the Psalms put, draws out God as, as rock, is it's the firm, he is the firm place on which we stand. The, the place of security, where our foot doesn't slip from underneath us, but we stand secure. I, years ago, ordered some boots from eBay. I had a very particular type of boot in mind. I wanted it for the school run, so I wanted it flat, but there were other requirements. And um, I found these boots, and I really liked them. got them. They fit wonderful. But the first time I wore them out on the school run, I'm sort of hurrying, which is often the way on the school run, and my foot went from underneath me, and I skidded. And so then I spent the rest of the school run sort of very gingerly finding my way forward. And when I got home, I took the boots off, and I saw the problem was that their sole was completely flat and completely, yeah, so there was, there was no grip whatsoever. And so then I couldn't walk with confidence because there was nothing solid. It was underneath me. And God is firm beneath us. We can plant our feet securely on him. He's not slippery. He doesn't change. He is utterly dependable like nothing else, like no one else. It talks in um, Psalm 46 about um, though mountains fall into, though the earth give way and mountains fall into the heart of the sea, this picture of chaos and, and, and the world around us being changeable and sometimes overwhelming, but God doesn't change. He is a firm rock. He is a foundation stone, Building a, a, on a rock, which is another great consistent Bible image, it's like you don't want to build on something that is, that is damp and boggy and marshy where you might sink. Build on a rock. We can build our lives on the rock that is God. And what that really means for us is about being secure in the Father's love. It's like we build up from there. We start with that truth that we are his, that he loves us, we belong to him, we start there, and that's where we're doing our life from. Not trying to earn something, that is slippery, but from that secure foundation, that's what we build our life on. The Psalms also talks about him as the rock that is higher than us. Psalm 61 verse 2, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Again, it's that looking up away from ourselves. 
But there's something about God as our rock that is higher than us, that encourages us to recognize that we don't always see clearly. You know, down on the ground, we um, don't get the lie of the land. Remember that when we talked about Psalms before, that a lot of the book of Psalms is set in the culture of warfare with enemies coming to attack. And you're down on the ground. You can't see who's coming. You can't see the land ahead of you. You can't see the good path versus the not good path. But lead me to the rock that is higher than I and I can see. So there's a sense in there about God in you. I can see clearly. Give me your, your vision. Give me your wisdom. Show me the right path to take. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Ask him for his perspective. Asking for his, ask him for his wisdom in your life. He is our rock and he's also our fortress. And a rock is a familiar image to us. A fortress may be less so unless you've visited a particular type of castle or made a cardboard fortress with a, with a child at some point. But, um, and so sometimes we kind of have a slightly... We're not too sure what to do with that image of God as our fortress. And growing up, there was a song that we used to sing in our Sunday school where it talked about God being like a, a fortress, a, a, you know, a strong tower. And it had this little line, the righteous run into it and they are saved. And then everyone sort of did this very half-hearted, that's not what it is to run into a fortress. You run into a fortress and you'll respond one of two ways, either like, you know, like the relief, the celebration, not or like on your knees sobbing with relief. Like, I'm here, I'm safe, I'm protected. I cannot be got at now because of where I am. And this is, the Lord is our fortress. He is the safe place, the hiding place. Maybe the two images might be one of, yeah, like a sort of fortified, a small city with high walls or even just a crag in a rock a place of respite, a place of peace and of shelter and of safety. And God is our fortress. We've already said that um, the, the world is chaotic sometimes and our lives might feel chaotic sometimes and yet we can still experience God as our fortress because it's not about being protected from the ups and downs of life. It's knowing that we are hidden in him, covered by him. Go to Ephesians, for example, where you'll hear that phrase, in him, in him, in him, that we are in Jesus. Again and again, we're told that, and as a result, we're able to stand firm. What is it to be in him? It's to recognize that he literally embraces us with his arms, covers us in the saving work of his blood, draws us into relationship that we are loved and saved, not through our own works, but through his love and through his work. We are hidden with Christ on high, clothed in his righteousness, embraced in his arms. He is our fortress. He is our safe place, our place of respite and peace. And we can, we can and we, why wouldn't we want to take refuge in him? He is the city that cannot be destroyed, the rock that will not fail, firm beneath our feet. 
And he becomes for us our rock and our refuge when we begin to understand something of who he is. When we know his character and his heart, we, um, that is our safe place. He is our safe place, but we have to begin to know who he is. Otherwise, what happens is we look to circumstances and we draw our own conclusions about his nature. But when we understand his nature, then we can face any circumstances. Learn, begin to learn who he is and you will find that he is your rock and your refuge. And there is a reason why those words for God come up again and again and again in the book of Psalms. It's because we constantly need him. We constantly need him. And if we ever don't think we do, we're misguided. We need him, we need him, we need him. And let's stay connected to that need of him as the secure one, as our safety and our peace. So we zoomed out and we've seen that Psalms is like a little Bible. Everything we know about God in the whole of the Bible condensed down into this one book. The Bible is rich, rich. Enjoy it for yourselves. In the book of Psalms, uh, we see him, we zoned in that little bit more and we looked at God as helper and as shepherd, as the God of unfailing love. And then we went in a little bit more and spent that bit of time looking at God as our rock and our refuge. And I really want to encourage you to discover him for yourself more. However well you know him, however much you've experienced of him, there is more. Like me on the telephone with my friends, there's more, there's more. There's more to be discovered in the Bible about who God is I want to encourage you, go to the word and learn his character, learn his name, not um, as knowledge by rote, but by heart, where you imbibe the truth of who God is, so that even when you can't see his hand at work, you can still trust his heart. As you, as you begin to discover who God is, let it change the way that you pray. Let it change the way that you bring yourself to him. Let it draw you into deeper relationship with him. You will find that you can put your weight in him and he won't let you down. That his character and his love become your rock and your refuge. He never changes. He never changes. His love never fails. That is the God that we worship, the God of the whole Bible and the God of the Psalms. Amen.